to HMOP Postscript. My name is Larry. On this podcast, I generally have a guest each episode. They come armed with five pieces of music. It can be a song, an LP, it can be an EP, whatever they want it to be as long as we're talking about music. Today's guest is Eric Starr. I've known Eric for fuck, a good minute now. Uh, Eric was the guitarist in um, a band that was pretty influential to me, uh, probably second only to Hyper as Hell, uh, a band called D.I.M., uh, he was their guitarist, and he's currently the owner-operator of Arkham Tattoos, and a pretty fine uh, tattoo artist, if I do say so myself. Uh, yeah, we, we sat down and chatted while I was getting uh, uh, getting some work done by Mr. Eric, uh, while he's doing the old stabby on the back of my leg, and uh, as, I, uh, as I listened back to this, Man, we really went in uh, hard on Celtic Frost, which is appropriate because, you know, Celtic Frost is pretty fucking awesome. Anyway, I hope you enjoy uh, the episode as much as I enjoyed uh, getting tattooed and, you know, talking with Eric. I'm hitting record. Okay. (laughs) I, uh, I don't know what your list was anymore, and you didn't didn't send me a new one, so it's okay. I I didn't, so... Um, Am I mistaken in that we talked about Iron Maiden? Uh, the list was Iron Maiden, Steve Albini slash Big Black, James Brown, Cro-Mags, and I tried to goad you into an argument about why Acid, acid Bath like started sludge metal. <laughs> did, I well, ar- I did I argue much? No, because you don't like Acid Bath, and I told you you were wrong, you need to listen to it. Because ah. it's fucking amazing. Um, no, I think we gotta talk about Celtic Frost. I mean, come on. Well, I mean, Pick it like a it's beer. kind of like they're almost a no-brainer some anymore. I remember like when I was younger, it was a band that I felt like only like real okay, deep metal, only yeah. real deep metal heads were listening to. Yeah. Yeah. But now they're they're kind of ubiquitous across a lot of different genres, you know. I mean, as far as like people appreciating them. Yeah. Well, also, you know, it's going back to just access to new things. You know, I mean, they're fucking sweet, like almost Hellhammer, like '81, something like that. Yeah, they were. Um, they're Swiss. Actually. Yeah. Yeah. Same difference. Sweden, yeah. Swiss. Like, yeah, I don't know. But, um, yeah, I mean, um, it's just, it's a weird thing, because, like, I came to them kind of late. Like, I was always aware of their name. But, me too. And when I mean late, I mean, I started listening to music in earnest when I was 14, and then within a year or two, I heard them. Right. You know, but... Um, I revisited... Oh, go ahead, I'm sorry. No, you first. What, what were you I, uh, I revisited a, a, some of that stuff... Not too long ago, and it's just really coincidental. <laughs> You're like, hey, I want to get this tattooed on me. I'm like, yeah, okay. <laughs> no, they scratch an itch that a lot of bands just can't do. Like, they if, do, if you if but... you don't want to listen to punk all day, but you're not really into like getting into a lot of guitar heroics, you can throw fucking any one of the records on, right? It's... Except for Cold Lake, and be oh, like, oh, we're gonna get to Cold Lake because uh... I tried. I really, I really really fucking tried. I really tried to give Cold Lake a go. And the one thing 
the one thing I found out when I was going through listening to him again is that, and this is this is what fucks me up about Hellhammer and then turning into Celtic Frost. Like, if you go to, was it 80, 89, they put out Nemesis slash Virtue, I think. Vanity slash Nemesis, I think. Yeah, Vanity yeah. slash Nemesis. And if you listen to that, you can fucking tell just the vocal style and the way he's doing the guitars and the song structure and even like some of the fucking breakdowns are like he got somebody gave him somebody gave Tom a copy of like Rain and Blood and said dude this is what all the kids in America are going batshit over you gotta do this and they tried to do Rain and Blood in 89 and Rain and Blood came out in 86 if you listen to Cold Lake, okay. Venom, I mean, not Venom, uh, the Poison, uh, you know, all yeah. that stuff. Hey, all the kids in America are really digging this shit. Tom's like, okay, let's do this shit. Yeah. 
So he had something to mimic, it seems to me. But when you go back to Hellhammer, nobody taught him how to do that. No. He did that. That's like, that was the impetus of so much shit. Yeah, and it's funny because, like, he says, uh, he said somewhere, and I'm not sure where. And, you know, I might even I might even be misattributing this quote, but I'm pretty sure that he said that he doesn't like any punk rock or hardcore except for Discharge. Really? Yeah. And it's weird because, like, Discharge tracks, right? Mm-hmm. But for him to not like any of the other, um, you know, stuff similar to that oh, is yeah. kind of astonishing. Oh, very much so. Very much so. Right to the back, to the 
lot of it is just, you can't tell the difference. Because he's not a good vocalist. No. He's not a good guitar player by any stretch of the imagination. He does some stuff that was kind of like texturally really original back then. Yeah. But it was just like, nobody ever made this noise before, but I can, so I will. His his strength was in the songwriting. Oh, yeah. You know, and really the only thing that made them a metal band, you know, if we're talking about orthodoxies, was the aesthetic. Oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, and, the fucking makeup and the spikes. Yeah. And his vocal. Yeah. Well, you know, the big I mean, puffy shirt that the, ba- the bass player used to wear. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. You know, <laughs> um, but you know, I mean, you the same could kind of be said for Bathory because nobody sounded like Bathory when yeah. he came out, and he was actually, you know, Quarthon actually had punk musicians playing on his records. Oh shit! Yeah, he, um, you know, I I ride hard for those first three Bathory records. A lot of people, oh, like, dude, absolutely. A lot of people like uh, Bloodfire Death. I think I, I might be getting that wrong because I haven't I haven't listened to that in forever. One uh, where he started going into the Viking metal sort of imagery. Yeah. I, I remember liking it, but I was like, yeah, you know, Under the Sign of the Black Mark is my favorite. First, first couple bathroom ones are 
fucking scary. Are like I give you chills. And like between that and really early Sodom mm-hmm. and very very early destruction. Yeah. That's why that second wave black metal stuff from Norway didn't do shit for me because I'm like, that's all that this is is yeah. those three. You know, and people are like what creator, you? creator, yeah, was, creator's one that was just like, his oh God, how the how the fuck is he playing and singing at the same fucking time? Well, what's funny is like you know. Okay, before we get to your stand up, oh yeah, tape, let me make Let's sure take this a is in the right spot. Yeah. <laughs> Okay, cool. I just want to make sure it's in, Just want to make sure it's in the middle of the muscle. Stand on the tiger. Yes, yeah, stand on the tiger. <laughs> or um, if I was Dio, I would have ro- rode the tiger. Oh my god. <laughs> uh, I'm sorry, sir, but the pool is closed. There is no more midnight sea until next spring. <laughs> okay. Um, yeah, like, and I got I got into the structure kind of late for whatever reason. It just Destruction? Destruction, yeah. Well, yeah, I came to them a little bit later, too. Like They had put out Eternal Devastation, and that was the first one I got, and I liked it. Yeah. And then I was able to snap up a copy of a Infernal Overkill and Sentences of Death much later. And... Uh, well, we were all Amazon to each other back then. Yeah, it's I like, mean... It's like, if you like Sodom, you might also like blah, 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 you know? Yeah. If you're talking to your buddy, it's like, oh, have you heard that? Have you heard this? And, you know, people take for granted that the record stores weren't carrying all that stuff either. Oh, God. I mean, and there weren't, at least that I was aware of, there were no independent record stores down here in Akron carrying half that shit. So, basically, you're walking into Sam Goody or Camelot Music or whatever it was at Rolling Acres Mall or Chapel Hill and just looking through the cassettes because they didn't have it on the vinyl. Yeah. I mean, they, they still had vinyl at that time, but they didn't have a lot of that shit on record. Time Traveler in Kent when he was still in Ken, was great. If you knew what the title was, he would kill himself trying to go through catalogs, trying to find shit. I never him. knew he started in Kent. Now, he was in Chicago Falls for a long time, right? He, so, the first one was in, the very first one was in Kent. Uh-huh. And it was in, so that building was Brady's Coffee, Time Traveler, a book, and a bookstore. And... The somebody sold the building to the university and they replaced the coffee shop, the bookstore, and the record store with a coffee shop, a bookstore, and a GameStop. So basically a record store. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> but yeah, when the Kent one closed, he moved to the Falls mm-hmm. and he had that big one. And then the overflow moved to, he's on market. Yeah. Right now. I wonder if he does any business. Uh, I've gone in there a couple times with the kid, and we we bought some things. I mean, it's it's mostly like collectors and stuff, you know. Yeah, that's that's a world I'm not. Believe it or not, that I'm not super familiar with. Me like, either. I've I just don't. I just don't like. I bought. I just recently bought a reissue of uh, "Rest in Pieces My Rage" on 12 inch. I saw that. Yeah. I had the CD for years, and before I had like this wobbly sheet tape copy a friend made for me, right. and I've always liked that band, but. You know, you go online and the record is over a hundred bucks, and I'm not paying that much for a fucking goddamn record. I don't collect records. I don't collect vinyl. I no. mean, I've got some records, you know, that you know friends have given me, and you know have got got sentimental value and that kind of stuff. Yep. You know, and I will definitely play those, but I don't. I don't understand the. 
well, that's just it. I mean, like, I think that... I don't know. I just, I just don't see the value in spending that much money on a record when you could... You know, it's... And I'm, pay, I'm paying with broad strokes when I say this. It's just a lot of collectors don't seem as interested in the contents of the actual album itself rather no, than, no, no. It's, it's, than just the it's artifact. The hunt. It's just the hunt. I, yeah, you know? I, I enjoy that part of it, but paying that much for it just seems like... I'm just like, that's not, that's not in the spirit of what this is about. Right. Now, that being said, total mea culpa... I did spend $35 on the Weirdos uh, Life of Crime 45 on Bomb. Had it really? at Square Records. Yeah, yeah. That's but you know what? That's probably the most I've spent on a record in relation to like you know the format, which is a seven inch. Yeah, yeah. You know that sort of thing. Um, you know, records are increasingly expensive. You can get a double LP for thirty, thirty-five bucks. Yeah. Most yeah. LPs are about twenty now. You know. So I guess, I guess it's all relative, but I just. It was a record I was happy that they reissued. I know they did like a real limited number. And of course, it's on colored vinyl. Of course. So I, I snapped one up because I really enjoy it quite a bit. But yeah, that collector's world, I just, I don't understand it. And yeah, it's... God damn, if somebody ever asked me to grade a record, I wouldn't be able to tell them. <laughs> I, I just, I have no clue. I'm just like, 
it plays great. Yeah. I don't know if this fits the standard of near mint, mint, good, whatever the fucking rating system is, yeah. you know? Well, I don't understand it. And I've got either. and I've got a ton of fucking records. A yeah. ton yeah, of records. Yeah, you do. But I just don't, you know, I don't know. Um, is that cordless? Yeah, yeah. Look yeah. at you. Hell yeah. I didn't know it was uh, cordless last time. Well, it's, yeah. Um, I wasn't paying attention. The machine itself isn't. I mean, there's a battery pack attached to it. Right. So. All right. Is it Bluetooth? Does it play music? It does not. Sorry. That's what you're here for. It it plays ouchy music. Yeah. There you go. You all set? Yeah. Okay. I do, you know, going back to the Celtic Frost thing, that the one uh, monotheist. That's fucking good, dude. man. Holy shit. That that's was like. 2006. Yeah. So that's it, almost. That's getting fucking, what, 17 years old now? Yeah. Point? Yeah. That is a great fucking record. Well, dude. it's crazy because somebody tries to. That doesn't sound like Celtic Frost. I'm like, are you. Have you listened to Celtic Frost? They actually played slow a lot of times. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Not quite. God, that's that's a great album. I love that. That is one thing that, you know, you can, and I did, you can bash Warrior's vocals and his guitar playing and all that, but the dude knew fucking dynamics. Yep. That uh, Dying God Becoming Flesh, yeah. which was, I guess, the single off of that. Dude, you listen to that fucking build? Yeah. And, oh, dude. The hair he's in the a, back of your neck is going to stand up. He's a good songwriter.
read his book? Uh, I have not. I can't remember what the name of it is, but I, I need to. Um, I need to read. I think it's called "Are You Morbid?" I'm not sure. The last thing I saw him involved with was before Geiger passed away. Oh, they had that documentary. Yeah, they had that documentary, and you know he worked closely with Warrior him. was like, well, he was like his curator. He hired him to like be, you know, to like manage his estate, basically. Huh. So. There was also that uh, documentary about Celtic Frost. Um, uh, I watched that one too, yeah. I think it's actually named after that song. Is it? I think. Um, I saw that. I, th- I think I ripped that off of YouTube or something a long time ago. It was pretty good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, The one thing that was bizarre was they went to go see, I think I might be wrong, they went to go see a church. I think it might have been one of the churches that was burned in Norway. You're right. And just the objective conversation they were having about their potential influence on the people who, you know, burned it. Yeah. Was, it was a bit weird. It wasn't like, it wasn't, you know, dicey or fucking edgy or anything. It was just, it felt like all of a sudden, like, oh, wait, yeah, these guys are European. You know, to be yeah. <laughs> like, there was just, it was very much right. In American, what you say is like, "Shit, am I? Can they fucking? Am I gonna get arrested for this?" Well, yeah. they were they were thinking about their own thinking, and they were sort of like looking at it objectively and from a sort of I might be misusing this word in the context scholarly sort of perspective. Yeah. Whereas I think you know an American would go there and have some more more of a much more of a, an emotional reaction to the whole situation. As opposed to the ones that they uh, had, you yeah. know, and that's not to say they're, you know, people without emotion because clearly they're emotional dudes. Because one of the things I found out in that was one of the reasons why they broke up early on mm-hmm. was because Tom Warrior fucked the bass player's girlfriend or some shit like that. Yes, yeah. And I'm like, okay, so they do actually have emotions. Yeah, yeah. He fucked the bass player's girlfriend and. The guy was still sore about it, which I don't know who wouldn't be still sore about it, you know. But uh, well, he, he just he just passed away not too long ago. Yeah, yeah. All those guys are getting up there in age, I guess. Yeah, I can. Never... Well, not all of them. Some of them are like closer to mine your age than we actually ever suspected. Yeah. You know. Frilly shirt dude, and I don't remember what his Martin name was. Martin Ain. Thank you. I could not remember what his name was. Well, that's his stage name, at least. I, it was Martin something or other. Yeah. You know, it's funny. Talk about those guys being close to our age. Um, a buddy and I were talking about Death Angel the other day. Oh, okay. And I mentioned how young the band was at the time they made the first record, The Ultraviolence. Yeah. I might be wrong, but I'm pretty sure the drummer was like 14 when they did that record.
they were like compatriots with like uh, like Testament and those mm-hmm. guys. Well, they're they're a Bay Area band. Yeah, yeah, yeah. My my one Death Angel story was uh, this song called Death is Certain, Not Life is Not. Mm -hmm. And uh, I painted that on my leather jacket when I was in high school. And my mom saw it. And like, man, I went right to the priest. Like, (laughs) what what did I come home? And it's like my my, denim jacket. You know, I like, I don't know, I had a fucking tombstone or some shit, you know, that I... Went to Joanne Fabrics or whatever. Oh wait, do you mean the Dark Angel? Club? Dark Angel. Dark Sorry, Angel. No, no, no. Dark that's okay. That's okay. No, yeah, it was Dark Angel. But uh, oh, I want to talk about them. But <laughs> yeah, it's like I come home like my denim jacket's in the middle of the dining room table. My mom's sitting there. She's like, "I need you to explain this to me." I'm like, "It's a song." <laughs> and she's like, "What? Why does everything have to be so morbid and so dark? I'm like, it's just cool." You know, and I'm like, all right, you want to have a conversation about this? You know, I put the record on, and she's like, ah, this is awful. I'm like, well, I know you're not going to like the music, but, you know, she reads the lyrics, you know, and a, a couple of, you know, fucks or whatever, and she's like, yeah, I, uh, I was going to see the priest the next day, I think, so, <laughs> if I remember correctly.
No, but what I was saying about Death Angel, what I was saying about Death Angel was that, uh, you know, if their drummer was indeed 14 when they did the Ultrons, that makes that guy only a year older than me. Whoa. Now, I mean... That's crazy. But the other thing was that, like, all those guys in that band were related. They yeah, were all cousins yeah. or brothers or something. Yeah, that I knew, too. Yeah, I knew they were all, they were all family. I mean, ACDC, when they did... Uh, when they did uh, recording the early stuff. I mean, that's why Angus's shtick was the whole schoolboy thing, because he would literally run home from class and go to band practice. Because he was the baby of the family. He was the, yeah, he was the little one. Like, I mean, you see early ACDC, and he's got the, not only does he have the, you know, the, 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 the suit coat and the, the tie and everything, but he's wearing the satchel as he play, on stage as he's playing the guitar. So he would run into practice and just grab the guitar and start going. He was like 14 or 15. When they did those shows, the most recent shows, their nephew took place of uh, Malcolm. Yeah, yeah. Which, you know, I admire on one hand, but I'm also just like, yeah, guys, it's just, it's time. Yeah. I mean, it's probably been time for a long time, but, you know, I doubt they need the money. You know, yeah, but, but then I, again, what, what do you do with yourself, I wonder? I you don't know. know. I kind of wonder that, too. I mean, it's a little bit like the Stones. Yeah, what do you do with yourself, you know? I mean, they're, they're into, you know, like the third or fourth generation that's being introduced into their music. And it's like, what? You're still selling out stadiums? How? Well, there's a lot of boomers that are, you know, and guys our age that are into it, you know? I mean, that's, you know, realistically, that's our parents' music, you know? That's not even our music. They just no. happen to be the best of our parents' music, just yeah, about. Yeah. Well, some of the best, not the absolute best, but some right. of the best. Yeah, my well, my mom and dad were not into. I mean, Elvis was about as like when I grew up. I'm not kidding. When I grew up, the two records I remember listening to when I was a kid, kid, was um, Hank Williams's Senior, his very first record, uh -huh. and the soundtrack to Forty Second Street. <laughs> Or like West, the West Side Story or something oh like that. Oh, my God. Yeah, and then like a bunch of radio dramas like uh, on vinyl, like The Lone Ranger, The Phantom, and that kind of stuff. My dad had records of that. Wow. So I heard like really early, yeah, so I guess I'm so dating myself. If Hank, <laughs> if Hank was in your household, did you were you into Hank early on, or was that something you came back to later? Did you come, oh, back, came, back, did you come back to it at all? Oh, yeah, yeah. No, I, I love, I mean, that actual real country music. That stuff, yeah, I dig that. Fishing poles broke, the creek is full of sand. My woman run away with another man. No matter how struggle and strive, I'll never get out of 
A distant uncle passed away And left me quite a batch And I was living high until the fatal day A lawyer proved I wasn't born I was only hatched Everything's again me and it's got me down If I jumped in the river, I would probably drown. No matter how struggle and strive, I'll never get out of this world alive. I'm not gonna yeah. worry wrinkles in my brow Cause nothing's ever gonna be alright no how No matter how struggle and strive I'll ever get out of this world alive Right. So, <laughs> but uh, no, I mean, you couldn't listen to country music and Judas Priest at the same time. No, it was not something you would ever no, own up to. Not, yeah, not compatible at all. So. It's funny, like, Hank Williams, as much as I like Hank Williams Sr. and some of the earlier country artists, you know, there's something to be said about the former hardcore punk dude that sort of washes out of listening to that and they end up uh, you know getting neck tattoos uh-huh. growing a mustache and either becoming a bouncer a bartender or a barber that only listens to country music from the 50s <laughs> right <laughs> no it, you know it's but it's it, it, it's the, the, real it's, it's emotive and it, it's, yeah. it's, it's 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 simple it, it, it it's it's like doom metal. It's it's despair, and you know, I mean, there's there's an attraction to that, you yeah. know. I you know I'm not a stand for country that much, but I really do like the outlaw shit. Like, you know, first and foremost, Waylon Jennings. Like oh, th- yeah. those are just, and you know, God damn it, most of those songs sound alike. Yeah. You know, but mostly the bass lines, not the lyrics well, or the it's, it's, or the vocal melody or even some of the guitar playing, but. It's formulaic, you know. But fuck, that shit was good, you know. Time forgotten, your dreams are just fell by the way. 
The good life he promised ain't what she's living today. Really? But she never complains of the bad times or the bad things he's done, Lord. She just talks about the good times they've had and all the good times to come. She's a good-hearted woman in love with a good time man. She loves him in spite of his ways. And laughter that pass through this world hand in hand. A good hearted woman loving a good time. He likes the bright lights and nightlife and good time friends. And when the party's all over, she'll welcome. Lord knows she don't understand him, but she does the best that she can. Now this a good-hearted woman, loving a good-time man. She's a good-hearted woman in love with a good-time. Yeah, yeah. There's a, there's a story in the podcast we were talking about how he was really young. He into like writing his own record. His dad came in and you know listened to the music objectively. Okay. And said, "Well, here's what you could do here," and like actually helped him write his. You know, all goth metal record like oh, helped shit. him with it. Well, because his dad was a musician first and foremost. People yeah, forget yeah. that Waylon Jennings was—he played guitar for uh, fuck, Buddy Holly's band. Oh yeah, yeah, that's right. He was, and he, yeah, he was the one that wasn't on the plane. Yeah, he didn't get on the plane. Yep. Gave up a seat because Buddy was sick or something. I think the legend uh, goes. I don't know. I don't remember. But yeah, Buddy was sick. So Waylon sat the one out, and then that's yeah, that's the plane. It was yeah, there was a, uh, a roadie or something on there too. Yeah. Or I don't remember. So I mean, you know, his straight up rock and roll uh, bona fides, as they would say, are intact. It's just that he's not known for that. Yeah, yeah. And you know, him being quote unquote an outlaw country guy, I'm sure that he could sort of, on a very fundamental level, relate to. Outsider music, you oh, know. Quite, quite. Yeah, it's it's all. Now, one know, could question whether Marilyn Manson's actually outsider music. But I think maybe in the early '90s when he started, you know. Yeah, probably. I guess maybe because I was coming from a different starting point, I kind of scoffed at it 
as being. Oh, I've like, never cared for it. No, I mean, you know, I, I, I mean, even being outsider music. Yeah. Like I was just like, oh, this is just that guy's selling millions of records. How is this outsider music? You know, but I, right. that was the that was the narrow view, right? <laughs> it was. It was the narrow view. I mean, the guy was a fucking weirdo. Yeah. yeah. So, I guess I guess somebody asked Alice Cooper what he thought of uh, Marilyn Manson and didn't have a real polite answer. He's like, that's who I handed my crown to? Really? That's that's who I built this stage for? Was that fucking guy? <laughs> so. Alice built the stage for a lot of people. Oh, he did. He did. How's I saw him. Working? You okay? Yeah, I'm good. Okay, cool. Did I move or something? No, 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 no. I'm just asking. Oh, okay. Um, I saw him play at uh, Civic Theater a long-ass time ago. Uh, Cooper or Manson? Cooper. Okay. <laughs> Manson. <laughs> Alice Cooper. Let's be clear. Alice Cooper. Uh, I went with Speedy. He got some really good tickets from Danny Basson, I think. Okay. And we went, and man, it was fucking fantastic. It was so good. He played a couple bummer songs I don't like. Like, he played uh, Feed My Frankenstein or some shit. <laughs> Right. In the song Poison. Yeah. But he played all the greats, you know. Uh, I think he even fucked around with part of the Ballad of Dwight Fry. Really? Yeah, which was really fucking cool. But, I mean, that's a guy who really knows music really well, and that's why he's always been surrounded by good musicians. Yeah, yeah. You know, whether the songs were all great is another story, but he's always had good players in his bands. Oh, yeah. You know? Well, have you... Have you seen the uh, documentary uh, Hired Guns? No. It's on Netflix. Totally worth it. And it's just about, you know, uh, contract musicians. Guys that are professional guitar players, that whoever's on tour, they need, you know, a drummer or a guitar player, you know. He's a go-to guy. And they interview a lot of these people that are playing in these bands now. And almost all of them were in Alice Cooper. Yeah, almost all. <laughs> <laughs> like, uh, they, for some reason, there's some weird connection. It's like, oh, yeah, I played guitar for Cooper for this and this. And, like, people that are still in his touring band, you know? And, dude, monsters, top-notch fucking people, you know? That's, that's a great documentary. You know, Jeff Buckley was a fucking hired gun for hair metal bands in the 80s before You're he signed? Me. Yeah, I heard that. I guess I heard... Or I read or something somewhere that he was actually like a fucking a ripper. Like he could No shit. Like he was a bit of a shredder. But that's not where his writing heart was at, I guess. Yeah. Well clearly. I mean Well, I mean on, on a similar note, not that fans of any of it, but it's still a funny story, I guess. So the guy that plays a, a guy that was Taylor Swift's guitar player for years ever since she got her you know he toured with her for years and years and years like wrote a bunch of songs with her it was like mm -hmm. was like she was his, he was her right hand guy um he was getting bored with kind of doing the poppy dancey stuff yeah and somebody said it's like hey man uh, this record company or you know production company's putting together this metal band you want to do that he goes oh, i haven't played metal in a long time and that's why we have five finger death punch now Oh yeah, exactly. Fuck. The guy, the clean-cut, like starry-eyed dude right. that would sit sit next to Taylor on stage and play acoustic while she would croon to all these teenagers is now the guitar player in Five Finger Death Punch. 
you Not know, that I want anybody to ever listen to Five Finger Death Punch. It's just a funny story. You know, I don't know how many of the episodes you've listened to, but I try not to judge too much. I mean, yeah. I do a little bit of judgment on it because, you know, I've got opinions and I guess you might call them standards. Okay. And I well, try you to, might call them standards. Well, yeah. Another person <laughs> might say you have no standards, you know, but I am... Um, I mean, there are very few things I would, like, openly shit on. Right. Uh, a lot of people would give me shit for uh, crapping all over Josh Homme, which I love to do. Right. But Five Finger Death Punch is, like, music for fucking idiots. Like, if somebody tells me that Five Finger Death Punch is their favorite band, not, not that anybody has, but if they did, yeah. I would turn around on my heel and walk away from them because <laughs> I have nothing... The conversation's over. I've, I've tried. Like, there's nothing. There's no common ground. Yeah. You know, I mean, just because dude has dreadlocks and his fucking chin beard doesn't mean that they're <laughs> fucking cool or brutal or whatever else, you know? Well, like, I it's, mean, it's, just to have some fucking it's integrity. So, and, it's fucking gross. It's, well, it's we know gross that they're, music. you know, they're a production man, you know? Uh, they're a total fucking production man. That's how uh, fucking... Um, the Buck Cherry got started. That's, Some? that's a band that I'm perplexed by. Like, I have friends who actually like them, and I'm like, you like oh, this? Oh, God, my, my hatred of Buck Cherry is very, very deep. <laughs> like, they're like a fucking low-rent Guns N' Roses. You know, oh. and, and that, that's being kind. Yeah, because, yeah. Because they don't have the good musicians in the band that Guns N' Roses actually has. And look... <laughs> Famously, I'm no fan of Guns N' Roses. Oh, dude. And here's why, because I, I can't hang with the vocals. That first album, yeah. musically, fucking fastball, right over the plate, perfect rock and roll. But those See, vocals, man, I can't get with it, man. I hate the fucking vocals. And I, the, the, my issue with Guns N' Roses is... Top all, hats? No. Well, okay. <laughs> my seventh issue with Guns N' Roses. No, it's just, it's, at that time... There were so many people doing the same thing and just organically, and they were just doing it better. Fucking Hanoi Rocks, uh, fucking all of those guys were yeah. doing that trashy LA vibe, you know, hey, we're kind of standing on the shoulder of the New York dolls, but we're louder yeah. type of thing. There were so many, like, fucking. Uh, uh, Tora, I mean, there's all these fucking bands doing the same type of thing. And then Guns N' Roses just had a better representation in America. Just had a better A&R. Well, I don't think they, the songs they, are better. I don't think the playing's better. I, I actually, I actually, I, I will disagree with you. I do think the songs are infinitely better. Okay. Like, it, it sounds more like dirty rock and roll. Like, you know, they, they sure, it's, it's an easy comparison because they covered them before. Right. But... There's a lot of Rose Tattoo in what they were doing. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Not, and, you know, and they were just more aggressive and a little more, like, those guys, and I will admit, I actually dig the first Circus of Power record. Okay. Um, they were like a, almost like a New York version of Guns N' Roses. I agree. And I, I, preferred the vocal, I, I preferred the vocals, but I don't think the songs were as strong as I the think... Guns N' Roses. I almost wish that the singer for Circus of Power had sang for Guns N' Roses. I would like to have seen what that would have been like. Circus of Power was more street guy tough thing, 
where I think the Guns N' Roses vibe was like street guy sleazeball thing, you know? Okay. And yeah. I, I like, I, I don't know, I, I, I like the aggression more. It's, I, I never would have drawn that parallel, but now that you said it, yeah, that makes well, sense. Well, I mean, I mean, Circus Power felt more like a biker band. Difference between watching, you know, 
Motley Crue ride their motorcycles on the wild side with a perfectly cropped hair versus the guys in circus power with like their You know, so it's like. <laughs> it's funny. I'm sticking around on Facebook and I don't know what, what I clicked on today, but it was apparently a quote from James Hetfield. Uh-huh. And it was like way back in the day when everybody, you know, when San Francisco was the big thing. And apparently it was like, there was one time we were playing out and we saw this big group of really tall hookers on the sidewalk. And we got closer to them and just realized it was Motley Crue. Uh. <laughs> Whether that's true or not, I don't know. But it's I'm funny. sure that was just him taking a shit on this. Oh, guys, I'm sure you know? it was. Because, you know, face it, they were the big, they were the big dogs. They, oh, were, yeah. they were the yeah, top they were. of the food chain right. and Metallica wanted to be there. Even though they're, you know, it wasn't an apples to apples comparison. They were... You know, Motley Crue was the biggest "quote unquote" rock band at the time. Oh yeah. So Metallica clearly wants that spot, and they're gonna shit all over them. Well, that's know? funny too, because that was like, you know, thrash was starting. You know, thrash was starting, and you know, the glam rock thing already had legs and was already taken off. I, you know, because it, it, it's, when, when we were younger. Mm-hmm. If you went to an agnostic front show and you saw a guy wearing a motorhead shirt, you were fine with that. Right. Vice versa. Right. If you went to a nuclear assault show and you saw a guy wearing a fucking GBH shirt, you were cool with that. Okay? Where was the vibe then? Where is like, did the Motley Crue guys uh, go see them on... You know, see Martin Crew on Friday, and then did they go see Metallica and Arbor Saint on Saturday? I mean, <laughs> seriously, was there, there a I crossover with the fans, or did I, they, I don't did everybody hate each other back then? I think that I think that if there was a crossover between fans, it was mostly like in the Midwest or or like you know deep Midwest or the Plain states because yeah. you were just being fed what was on the radio. Well, as far yeah, as and like there wasn't metal enough music. of us to have a schism. You know, we needed to fucking stick together. You know. <laughs> and, you know, it was just like, I think it's funny. You can almost kind of, I mean, you're 100% right in that the hair metal thing, which is retroactively called hair metal. Yes. I think that's hysterical. It is. But all that stuff. Oh, kids call it butt rock now. Have you noticed that? Really? Yeah, they call it butt rock. Oh, I did that fits a lot better. <laughs> I think it does too. So the butt rock thing. Uh, leave it to the children. Yeah. Well, they're smarter than we are. Oh, yeah. Infinitely. But I mean, there's a day goes by, I don't look at my kid and go, my God, you're a genius. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm just comparing him to me at the age. Well, don't that. do that because you're setting the bar way too low for him. Well, no, no, no. Well, exactly, exactly. Zing, well, no, right over your head. Don't worry. <laughs> Ta-da, consider your audience. It's magic. <laughs> yeah, not shooting fish in the barrel here, Larry. It's only you and me in the room. <laughs> um... No, but when I say that, Nick goes, yeah, Dad, and in the back of his head, I know he's like, just consider the source. Just consider the source. <laughs> I know that's what he's thinking. So, um, but so, yeah, I mean, to your point, you said that you, you made a point that, you know, the hair metal thing was established really early, much earlier than Thrash, and you're 100% right, you know, because Thrash got legs, what, in 83, 84? And uh, hair, metal, yeah. hair metal was like, you know, Motley Crue's put out shit in 81, well, in America, Yeah, yeah. And so the thing I found funny is that they both sort of collapsed around the same exact time, though. Yeah, yeah. Thank you, Kurt Cobain. Well, look, I mean, they were, they were on fumes as it was by the late 80s before 
you know, before, um, I mean, there were some good thrash records in the late 80, early 90, 91 maybe, but by and large, it was all the third stringers and fourth stringers like putting out records at that point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, that were like, I mean, I don't know how you feel about them, but I didn't need a rigor mortis LP. You know, <laughs> it's like, you know. Um, uh, I could have passed on that one. I don't know. <laughs> that guy went on to play for fucking uh, Mike Skacia, I think is his name. He went on to play for Ministry for a long time. Oh, no shit. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I think he's dead. <laughs> Speaking of dead, have you seen Al Jorgensen lately? No. Dude, he's been dead since 2013. Apparently nobody has fucking told him. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> and so another photo of Jorgensen and Buzzo... Like, because they're touring together now. Uh-huh. And I'm like, Buzzo, you know, his trademark, you know, whatever, dying fern of a haircut. And it's and just... Sideshow Bob hair. Right, Sideshow. It's, it's solid white. And Jorgensen standing next to him. And Buzzo looks like he's 20 years older than him, mm-hmm. but still somehow looks better. Wow. <laughs> yeah. So, so who looks better, Keith or Jorgensen? You know, I mean, because Keith Richards looks pretty. Oh, I thought you meant Keith Morris, but uh, no, 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 Keith Richards. Keith Richards is immortal. Yeah, I mean, he really is. It, it's you know, that's apples and hand grenades. You can't, you can't compare that to there. You know, no, this animal has not existed on this plane yet before. So you know, Keith Richards is his own thing. And no, Keith Richards. That's the other thing. Keith Richards doesn't seem like he's getting any older. He's no, he never doesn't. looked. He's looked like he's been dead for the past twenty years, but he. Oh no, no, no! Seems since, like it's gotten since, worse. I'd say since the late '80s, he's looked horrible. Yeah. You know, I mean, I don't know. I just, I'm fascinated by that. How like dudes who live that fucking hard live that goddamn long, and then you got people who don't really live hard lives, and they just kind of. Well, they check I mean, out, you know, it's weird how that works. When, can, when you're a millionaire uh, several times over and can afford the very best health care on the planet fucking Earth, that says something, yeah, you know? I guess so. <laughs> so, how's it feeling? That's no, all right. Okay, all right. Tilt your leg towards me a little bit. Yeah, roll. Uh, that's perfect. You okay like that? Yeah, yeah I'm good. Cool. All right. This is my sexy pose. Goddamn right it is, Sailor. You got any, got any, got any photographs going out? Only in my mind. Only head, in my mind. cameras up? <laughs> no. There are no cameras. Part one of my two-part conversation with Eric Starr. Part two is up now. Go check it out.